and let's let's be clear, I'm not anti-social media, I'm not anti-mobile phone. They're both, you know, socials uh, an incredible tool. The, the mobile phone is one of the most amazing advances in the history of all of human, you know, all of human history. But I think the way that we're engaging with it is extremely problematic, and I think it's having an effect on our mental health, and and that's why we wrote the book. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an amazing, awesome guest lineup for you today. My guest today is a returning guest. He is the co-author of the brand new book, The Focus Effect, with Bruce Bowser, one of Canada's leading entrepreneurs. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one the only, the legendary Dr. Greg Wells. Welcome to the show, Greg. Nikki, so good to be with you, buddy. Oh, it's pleasure's all mine, my friend. So tell us about the new book. Very, very exciting. Yeah, it's super cool. So Bruce and I were sitting at the back of the Titan Conference about two years ago in Zurich, and we were watching all these amazing presentations and we were chatting about some of the grand challenges in the world, and we were we went for a walk around the city of Zurich. We we were struck by the number of people that were walking around, faces glued into their phones. And then you know we went back to the conference and we saw everybody. I mean, the Titan Summit is like one of the most engaging summits you can possibly go to. Yet people were still, you know, the second that a speaker was finished, everyone was like diving into their phones and we were really struck by how easily distracted everybody was. And we were like, we should write a book about that because it's an issue. Bruce was like, yeah, I go out for dinner and my daughters are in their phone. We had to set a rule that we are not looking at our phones. And I was like, yeah, when I went to the park with Ingrid, my three-year-old at the time, you know, she got mad at me because I checked my email when we were in the park. So I actually think this has become a huge issue. And then uh, obviously with my exposure in schools and in businesses, just seeing the level of of distraction that people are exhibiting, I was just like terrified. So we figured we would do a deep dive into it, and we took a, about a year to write the book and do our research. And and let's let's be clear, I'm not anti social media, I'm not anti mobile phone. They're both you know socials uh, an incredible tool. The, the mobile phone is one of the most amazing advances in the history of all of human you know all of human history. But I think the way that we're engaging with it is extremely problematic, and I think it's having an effect on our mental health, and, and that's why we wrote the book. I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. I was checking something on my phone. Just yeah, kidding. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? what's funny is before you, I, I do most of my podcast recordings uh, one day a month. So I've got like f- uh, five or six scheduled today. So before you, I interviewed the Fireside guys. I don't know if you've heard of the Fireside yeah. uh, Conference. Great. So. Um, the Fireside Conference is an entrepreneur's conference that happens once a year in a camp uh, about two and a half hours outside Toronto. There, 
is no cell phone access. There is no internet over there. So if you go to the fireside conference, you can take your phone with you, but it's not going to work. You know what I mean? Unless you, uh, you know, are willing to, to like bring some sort of a satellite phone with you and, uh, and, and pay, you know, the outrageous fees that are associated with that. There is no phone. You got to be with people. You got to take the time to connect. And I was there last year. I did a special interview there. I interviewed Andrew Warner of Mixergy. And um, it was something else to be without my phone for three days. I don't think that's happened since the smartphone was invented in my case. You know what I mean? So you've struck a nerve with this book. It's a real issue, you know? And our society right now, as much as it's benefited from social media and mobile devices, it's also being hurt by them. Yeah, there's no question. I'd be sort of interested. When you got back to civilization after that three days of unplugging, how did you feel? Oh, dude, while I was there, I started to relax. You know, I, I thought more clearly. I was actually present for conversations more. It was incredible. Yeah, it's wild. And then when you return back, like I was in Ecuador climbing a volcano a couple of years ago called Chimborazo. We do expeditions every once in a while. And, you know, when we're on the volcano and we were out there doing our training, we were out there for almost 10 days. We had no cell phone contact at all, no Wi Fi, nothing even at base camp. And the only, funny enough, the only place my phone would connect was above 20,000 feet uh, on this volcano. So I'd be <laughs> able to get like funny. one text message out to my wife, like still alive, and then throw my phone back in my jacket before it froze. And I obviously the first few days felt uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, I've got a business at home. Like what's happening to my lab? How's my family? And then after about a week, we started connecting. We started relaxing. I started looking at the mountain in, in a different way. Uh, I started to be able to breathe. My creativity returned. I got incredible ideas. I did physics equations in my brain to solve a problem that we were working on in the MRI back at the hospital where I do research. I can't do physics under normal circumstances. The fact that I did it in my head is insane. Uh, <laughs> and then when we were driving back to Quito after the expedition was over, and we're on the highway and we came back within cell phone range and I downloaded like 700 unread emails. I felt this massive amount of tension uh, return to my body. And I was amazed at how, how much of a physiological effect that return to connection had. And it was the opposite thing that I would have expected. Like I would have expected being back in touch. I would have been relieved. I was actually my tension skyrocketed. And the really amazing thing is once I got back to the hotel and I settled in the hotel, connected to their internet and went through my email, I cleared the entire backlog of email in about two hours. So this stress that I had over the 10 days that I was disconnected, you know, I, I really, it only took me two hours to catch up. So I think we overestimate or whatever. We overemphasize how much we have to be connected. I got to be in touch it's truly an addiction. I don't think it's serving us right now because I don't think it's enabling us to do our best work. I don't think it's enabling us to be uh, creative. I don't think it's enabling us to build amazing relationships. I think it's an incredible tool. The fact that I can check my email anywhere in the world at any time is fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. The fact that we check our email 16 times a day, that's an issue. The fact that we check, uh, I was with a group of athletes recently, and the fact that some of those athletes are checking their Instagram feeds at three o'clock in the morning out of compulsion is a huge problem. 
So I think it's not the tech, it's not the, the social media, it's how we're engaging with it, it's our addiction to it, and it's the fact that we're not using it, it's controlling us. It is controlling us, but it's almost like the big social media platforms are crack dealers and we're crack consumers when it comes in there. And now they're responsible crack dealers. But, you know, for example, with Facebook, the invention of the like button, I'll tell you, that thing took Facebook's engagement to a whole new level. Because when Facebook first came out, I thought it was kind of cool. I was on it, but it wasn't as compelling to me as when there were all these opportunities to like things, to engage in posts and going back and forth. And that's where I think people need to really be cognizant of why they use social media. Yeah, absolutely. And I had a great conversation with Dr. John Izzo last week on that note. And there's no question that, you know, we have this dopamine release when we see that something that we've posted has gotten a lot of likes or a lot of shares. And I built, I'm building my business based on social media. So I'm trying to put out content that resonates with people. So it's great for me to be able to see that it is in fact resonating. But what Dr. John Izzo was mentioning is that the way that in which we interact with that social media makes a huge difference. And his point was that if we passively consume social media, if we're just subconsciously or, or, or just scrolling through our, our feeds, consuming that content, that can be damaging to our mental health, especially if we're comparing even subconsciously our current state with what we're seeing. I'm, I'm at work, but I'm seeing people on vacation. Uh, I'm not happy with myself physically. And I'm seeing these people in, you know, in bikinis with six packs and it, and, and I'm frustrated with how fit I am. I see someone smiling with their partner and maybe I'm not super thrilled with my relationship that I have right now. Like that gap causes a huge amount of angst for people and maybe contributing to some of the, the, the mental health challenges that we're seeing in the world at the moment. He, however, noted, Dr. Izzo noted that if we positively engage with social, if you comment positively, if it's like, hey, congratulations, oh man, it looks like it's amazing that you're in that incredible spot, enjoy your vacation. Hey, way to go on that training program. Oh, that dinner looks amazing. I wish I could be there with you. If you're commenting in a positive way on social, it actually improves your mental health. So it's all about how we engage with it that makes all the difference in the world. Passive consumption being problematic and positive engagement being the way to go. Well said. Very, very, very powerfully said. So what's the solution to all this, my friend? Well, Nikki, you know what? I honestly think that it's about us taking control, putting some boundaries around it, building some great habits, and uh, getting away from some of the things that I think we've been doing in the past almost subconsciously. So for example, one of the easiest hacks you can do to start getting control over this is in the morning, do not check social, do not check email. Put a barrier up around it and maybe check it 9 a.m. or even better, 10 a.m. When you wake up in the morning, do things that are good for you. Meditate, work out, make an amazing breakfast, connect with your family before you head out for the day. Strategize about what it is that you need to be accomplishing that day. Review your priorities, set some intentions. There's so many amazing things you can do in the morning to set your day up for success. And then at 10 a.m. or 9 a.m., it depends on your job and what you're, what you're up to. At that point later in the morning, once you've done some things for yourself, once you've established your own world-class routine and executed on it, then you can begin to engage with whatever it is that you need to do. If you want to go through and spend an hour on email, fire it up. But instead of spending five minutes 
every half hour all through the day checking your email, let's do it once or twice a day and get that under control. Instead of passively consuming social intermittently all day long, let's dedicate one hour to positive engagement and either pushing out great content or positively engaging on social, put some boundaries around it, control it, and then allow yourself to do deep work or deep engagement when you're not actively connected with, with those different platforms. That's the first really important thing that I think that a lot of us can take action on to do a little bit differently. You know, I think this is really important. Really, really important. There's a thought leader I worked with who was in our E-Circle Academy program. His name is Jeff Weinstein. And Jeff has programs on how to have employees in your organization communicate and use social media within the context of their jobs, obviously. And a lot of what you're saying is similar to what he has to say about how you can positively engage employees so that when they're on email, they're only going to email at predetermined times. And again, not intermittently throughout the day. Social media, they go on there for their, for their job and, and they do it at specific times that they put into their calendars on a daily basis. He's got a comprehensive training program that he's taken into primarily large financial institutions and, and is implemented in there that's starting to make a really big difference in some of the largest financial institutions in Canada. And it's very similar in terms of its import and its impact to the message that you and Bruce are bringing forward to the larger community in the focus effect. Yeah, and I love that idea that he's taking it into financial institutions. couple notes on, on that that I've observed. There's a large bank uh, in Canada that set up boundaries around when you're allowed to message interns and simply said no messaging of interns on the weekend, which enabled a little bit of a barrier to be created between when they're at work and when they are at home. If you're listening in the audience and you have people that report to you or people that you're engaging with, I want you to consider the time that you're sending your notes or emails to those people and the impact that it's having on them. If you send it to them at eight o'clock at night, thinking that you're clearing your email inbox, I understand how good that feels to get everything off your plate when there's less inbound because it's late at night. Let's contemplate the effect that that's having on other people. Maybe the person you're sending it to is having dinner with their spouse. And because you're an important relationship for them, they're going to read that email. They're going to respond to it. Are you breaking into that amazing experience that they could be having with their family to reconnect? Bruce Bowser, my co-author on this book, did something really interesting at AMJ Campbell, his company, where he has put into place a 7 p.m. to 6 a.m. block on email moving through their servers. If you there's an emergency number you can call, obviously, and there's a note within his email autoresponse with his cell phone number. And over the course of the last year, he said that's only been activated about five times. So out of the mountains of email that come through late at night, he's only actually had to have someone call him with an emergency situation about five times. I moved my entire company onto Slack. And that's a sort of internal messaging uh, app that we've, we've been using. But I also put up where 8 p.m. through to 8 a.m., no messages can be sent through Slack to make sure that we're, I'm not disturbing people at night and I'm certainly not disturbing them in the morning when that's their runway for having an incredible day. So there's all sorts of ways of putting some boundaries around what we're doing to ensure that when we're at work, we're at work. When we're at home, we're at home. And I actually think it's the crossover and the confusion between those two states now that 
has caused so much tension, so much stress uh, in us. It's a, it's a way that I think we can reestablish a little bit of of work life balance. Not to say that you don't you know you you shouldn't potentially have your cell phone with you up at the cottage and do a conference call while you're up there so that you can be at your cottage with your family and and knock out a conference call. Like I've done that certainly uh, a number of times, but I think it enables us to put a little bit of uh, a boundary around things to enable people to recover, regenerate better, and then to engage better. That's powerful. I really, really like what you and Bruce have done here. The focus effect has a powerful message. It's timely. It's needed. There's a lot of people out there who can benefit from this message. And I actually believe its application is uh, universal. Yet, I think this is something that you guys can do similar to what my friend Jeff Weinstein's doing and take into corporations uh, in the context of a training program, in the context of ongoing education, evergreen education that's created uh, in the form of modules that can be taken out there. So this could actually be worth a lot of money to you as well as something that can bring a massive impact into corporate Canada and corporate America. Thanks, Nikki. Uh, you know, it's certainly part of the plan. We want to make sure that this gets out to uh, as many people as we possibly can, businesses, obviously, but you know, it goes right down to our families as well. Just for the people that are listening, let's think about dinner with your family or your partner or your spouse. And, you know, let's just get the devices out of the dining room. Let's actually have conversations with people. When you're with your kids, make sure that the devices are not in play when you're with your children so that you're with your kids when you're with your kids. That time flies by. When you're running a meeting at your office, make sure that devices are off the table so that people are actually engaged with the meeting. Even having the device on the table and turned over is has been shown to be distracting. Uh, when we're engaged, however, like go all in, do the video log, do the post to show people what you're up to, inspire others with incredible messaging through social media. Like that's all good. But let's really separate this out. And uh, I'm glad that you think, uh, Nikki, that this could be beneficial for some companies in the, in the form of some training programs. And uh, hopefully we can get that out to the world as fast as possible. I think you can. Uh, you know, it, it's something to have an offline conversation with you about because I know what uh, we've uh, helped Jeff do. Uh, Jeff just got himself a six-figure deal with a Schedule B bank. I can just imagine the kind of deals that uh, are possible going into the big banks and big technology companies and so forth. So from an income perspective, that's very exciting. But just imagine the impact. I mean, even a Schedule B bank has tens of thousands of employees. A Schedule A bank has 100,000 employees. And large technology companies uh, have similar amounts of employees. And if you take it into a major government organization, you'll have a similar type of impact. So from both an impact and an income perspective, this is the type of thing that uh, is a good segue into the next part of this interview, which is talk all about thought leadership. So, Greg, we've identified five pillars of thought leadership. I want to walk you through each one of these five pillars, and I want to get your comments on how you've implemented them and what you would advise our listener to do in terms of implementing them into their practice. So, pillar number one is to be a thought leader, you need to think and you need to have world-class IP. That just makes sense, doesn't it? If you're a thought leader, you need to engage in thinking. Your thinking has got to be something that's not just kind of surface bubblegum type thinking, but it's got to be deep, 
you know, hard work that you've done to figure out something important. And it's based on getting the innate experience that life has given you and putting it out in a structured format. That's what we do inside our programs is we've got structured formats. There's something called a pink sheet, which is part of some material we licensed from Matt Church from Australia that helps people develop IP. What are your thoughts and comments on that? Well, a couple thoughts. And first of all, just so your listeners know, you've been uh, really powerfully positive uh, in your in your thinking around helping me to develop all of this, Nikki. So like to just to get that started, I, I want to just share that love a little bit to begin this conversation and developing thought leadership, especially about thinking has been for me is carving out time to actually think, which I think is probably the greatest challenge that most people are faced with. We're so busy. There's so much going on that unless you dedicate some specific time to just thinking uh, in an isolated location, no distractions, ideally around nature, it becomes incredibly difficult to do that. So when I wrote The Ripple Effect, which was my previous book, uh, I actually had to take the entire summer off. And I had to do that because I wasn't making progress. It had been 18 months in the works and I'd written three drafts. All were brutal. Uh, I wasn't happy with it. The publisher wasn't happy with it. And my editor from HarperCollins basically threw it back at me and said, you got to do something about this. So I took June, July, August of... uh, about a year and a half ago off and no meetings, no phone calls, no presentations, no public speaking. I isolated myself completely, woke up early in the morning, went for a swim with my buddies. That's my old sport. So we rent a pool near my house. We all train before work, went to my coffee shop, got a double espresso, uh, brought my, brought my computer and I would write for 90 minutes with my headphones on. And I got some really good headphones to make sure I had good music to block out the environment, but still be in that energy of a coffee shop. Uh, I would then go for a 30 minute walk, go back to my house and do another 90 minutes. And just by doing that for almost three months, was able to generate a manuscript that was pretty powerful and has done extremely well. Subsequently, we did pretty much the exact same thing for the focus effect. It was, except it was Bruce Bruce and I, uh, and we would do interviews that we taped and had transcribed. And then an editor took all of that content to turn it into something coherent, but we blocked off time. We isolated ourselves in a little room at a club in downtown Toronto in the financial district, uh, got a room blocked off the internet. Like we went into deep hibernation when we were doing this project to try to make sure that we were as efficient as we could. Uh, and that enabled us us to do some really hardcore thinking to come up with new ideas and make new connections between old ideas, uh, and to write the content down and to get it out on paper and to, build the actions and make the recommendations and structure it in such a way that it made sense for people that it's easy to communicate. And that did require a huge investment in time up front for which ultimately there's, there's no financial return in that period of time. In fact, there's a negative, uh, financial return because you're investing the time and not making money doing something else. Subsequently though, the return was exponential for sure. And the ripple effect generating book sales, uh, which doesn't pay you a ton, but you know, whatever. Uh, but that generates speaking, speaking generates programs. And that sequence has, has exploded for me in the last 18 months, uh, last year, since that's been, that book has been published. Uh, we're going to implement the exact same runway with the, with the focus effect generating speaking and programs. And, um, hopefully, you know, we, we can talk about the, how to leverage that with your expertise as well. But the key thing around that generating the IP was was to dedicate some time to get away, 
to be able to think, to make the connections, to put barriers up around yourself so that you can do your best work in a completely undistracted way. And that's really, really hard for people. But if you can do it, the long-term outcome of that is that you're going to be in possession of some really brilliant thinking that you can share with the world to make it a better place. That's really, really bang on. So let me talk about the second pillar of thought leadership, and that's pursuing a strategy of preeminence. What do I mean by that? Simple. A strategy of preeminence is seeking to be the best or at least one of the best in your field. To be a thought leader, you need to stand out. If you're like everybody else, if your thinking is uh, mediocre, you're not going to stand out. So you need to follow a strategy of preeminence so that you can be either the best or one of the best in your field. That way you get to stand out. That way people know that you're a thought leader. They're going to seek you out. <clears throat> because you're following a strategy of preeminence. What are your comments on that? How have you pursued that strategy yourself? And how do you recommend our listener pursue that for themselves? Yeah, it's really critical, especially in this era when everyone has instant access to all the information on the planet. Like you have to have some, some unique thinking. So there's a couple things. When I attended your event in Toronto, you asked me a question. I wasn't prepared for it, but you said, Greg, how much have you invested in your own personal development? I actually had never added it up, probably because I didn't want to. Uh, but I went back afterwards and deconstructed it, and I've spent 15 years in graduate school. So I did a you know four-year undergraduate degree. Uh, sorry, not 15 years in graduate school, 15 years in university. I did a four-and-a-half-year undergraduate degree. I did two years of a master's, four years PhD, two years postdoc, three years postdoc. So like it, and then I added up how much money I invested in that, how much money in other training I did, including voice coaching, which you can't tell right now because I did six speeches the other day and my voice is shredded, uh, public speaking training, Q&A training, uh, on-camera training for the Olympics that I commentated. Like the, invest, the massive investment that I have made has basically meant that for almost 20 years, personally, I did not make a lot of money because I was constantly reinvesting it back into myself. And the outcome now is that things are going really, really well. So that was the education piece. The other thing that I've done recently, because I'm trying to figure out how I can really take this to another level, is identify that public speaking is one of my unique abilities, one of the things that I can do at a world-class level that uh, I think makes me different than everybody else. I can take scientific information and convert it into something that people understand and share that from the stage, and it really, really works. But I also recognize that I'm not one of the best at public speaking, like truly one of the best. And so I just recently sought out uh, some of the, what I believe are some of the best public speaking coaches in North America uh, and signed up for one of their training programs. It's four times, four days down in, down in New Jersey. Uh, and we're going to do a deep dive where we deconstruct every single thing that I do, practice new ways of doing things in front of the camera, refine it over the course of two months to generate what I hope to be the platform upon which I'm going to build for the next two years. So Nikki, really the, the key message being is that you can never, uh, like I have made a deliberate choice to do massive investments in myself consistently over time. And I've never really worried about the financial return on that. Like I know it's going to come. It has come. And, you know, obviously my parents helped me out at different points in time. I'm very lucky that they were, you know, my dad and my mom were financially successful and enabled me to do things like go to grad school and, uh, do that with less of a financial burden than I would have been faced with. Otherwise, just want to completely acknowledge and recognize that because uh, they're amazing for having done that. I'm going to do that with my kids too. 
but it's all about continuously investing in yourself, identifying areas that you where you can get better and finding the very, very best people to train you in that so that you are unique and you are thinking at a different level than the people around you and that you can positively contribute to the world with your own unique IP. That's awesome. That is absolutely fantastic. You know, you talk about public speaking uh, training. The most powerful public speaking training I ever received was from Landmark Education. They're the folks who put on a program called the Landmark Forum. The Landmark Forum is the world's most popular personal development program. Over 250,000 people a year do it around the world. And uh, Landmark has almost a million people a year do their various programs around the world. So they are massively successful organization. They have a program called the Introduction Leader Program. The Introduction Leader Program trains people that have done the Landmark Forum on how to be what they call introduction leaders. Introduction leaders are people who deliver introductions to the Landmark Forum to the general public, which is the primary way in which Landmark sells the Landmark Forum to the general public. The Introduction Leader Program is a six-month intensive program. Three days a week, you do in-class training, and you do four two-day sessions in a center in the United States with the larger body of the Introduction Leader Program there. And they completely deconstruct you as an individual. And then they deconstruct the talk that you do. And the talk that you do is Landmark's introduction. So it's not one of your own. But I tell you, man, going through that program was unbelievable. I thought I was a great speaker to begin with. By the time that was done, I was an unbelievable speaker. I knew what gestures to use. I knew what gestures I was unconsciously using that the audience didn't like. And I became this, this person who could get in front of any audience, talk about anything, and be absolutely fabulous. And here's the most amazing thing about the Introduction Leader Program. It didn't cost anything at the time. I don't know if that's changed or not, but the only fees you had to pay was to get down to uh, the States for the four trainings that you had to do. And Landmark turns out amazing, unbelievable public speakers who not only are good at speaking in public, but are good at enrolling from the stage. And that's a very valuable skill. Wow, that's interesting. You know, there's a couple things that you said there that made me uh, just spark some thoughts I think could be super valuable for your audience. The first one is record yourself, like stick your iPhone somewhere or your BlackBerry or Android, whatever, and videotape yourself speaking and presenting. And if it's just you practicing in a room by yourself at home, great. Even better is if you're doing a presentation at work, anything where you can film yourself, videotape the entire thing, watch it and you will immediately see what you're doing well and what you need to do a lot better. And a lot of it's unconscious. You don't realize what you're doing with your hands. You don't realize how you're standing. You don't realize the way that your, your body language is. And that's extremely valuable. The second thing that I, that I heard someone uh, do recently, which I thought was absolutely fascinating, is don't videotape yourself. Videotape the audience and watch how they're reacting to you. Watch when they're engaged, watch when they're disengaged, watch the way that your voice captures their attention or loses it. And so I've been playing with that a little bit recently as well. And that's incredibly valuable. I've discovered one story that I tell where everyone is totally locked in on me. And I'm now using that to try to make the point about focus. It's about, it's an, it's a story about swimming with sharks. It gets everyone's attention. It's extremely valuable. And I found some other parts of the presentation I say, and no one's listening to me. So I'm ditching those. 
And then the other thing I've been doing recently, very consistently, is always using just quick time on my computer to record the audio of all of my presentations and all of my Q&A and listening to that audio within 24 hours of me giving the speech. And that has helped me to continuously pay attention to what I'm doing, what I could be doing better. Uh, and the other sort of hack out of that is you can use the audio transcripts from your speaking, have it transcribed and use that for blog posts and a whole bunch of other things to generate some, some content to, that you can use uh, subsequently to, to, to continue to move your thought leadership forwards. But those three things, videotape yourself, video the audience, audio record yourself, and for free, basically, you get an entire coaching experience around how you can present and deliver information better. It doesn't have to be in front of an audience. It can be in a small meeting, but amazing things can happen if you begin to do that. That's fantastic. I also did a, a public speaking training with Raymond Aaron. Raymond Aaron is the single best sell from stage speaker that I've ever met. And I've been in front of a ton of these guys. Raymond can sell ice cubes to Eskimos. <laughs> so he taught me a bunch of things, but I, I'm gonna give the listeners and you two nuggets that I got. One from Landmark and one from Raymond, and they've both been very powerful. So the one from Landmark is whenever I'm on stage, I find one member in the audience, I look him or her in the eye, and I speak to them. And then I move away from that person to someone else. And I usually speak to one person around the middle of the audience. I speak to someone in the far left-hand corner. I speak to someone in the far right-hand corner. I speak to someone in the near left-hand corner, and I speak to someone in the near right-hand corner. And then I keep moving that cycle along when I deliver my talk. And here's what Landmark taught me. Doing that makes the entire audience feel like I'm speaking to them as an individual. Every member of the audience feels like I'm speaking to him or her, even if I'm not looking at them. Because my focus isn't just out there. It's on a particular individual. It's on a particular person. Doing that made my, my talks way more effective, way more powerful. And then here's what Raymond taught me. And this is in my speaking. He said that when you're on stage, speak in the singular, not the plural. So never say, ladies and gentlemen, take your seats. Say, please take your seat and use first person singular language. That makes the members of the audience, every single individual feel like you're speaking to them as an individual because no one's a ladies and gentlemen. Everyone's an individual. So if I say to you in the speech, what you need to do is you need to sit down, close your eyes, relax your shoulders, and let out a deep sigh, you're gonna feel like that's something that's directed at you. But if I say, ladies and gentlemen, why don't you have a seat, close your eyes, it's not gonna land the same way. And that was really powerful for me to learn as well. So doing those two, two things has made me move up from being a decent speaker to being a spectacular speaker. It moved my, my uh, enrollment ratios from like 10, 15% in a room to 40%, 50%. And those are really, really powerful things. And I really am glad that you're taking this on for yourself, but boy, it's really awesome to study the whole game of speaking. 
Yeah, and what you just said there was critical because it not only applies to speaking, it also applies to writing. So if you are writing a blog post, an article, a book, anything, a, a training manual, uh, writing it to an individual is a lot different than writing it to an audience. So just as you said, instead of ladies and gentlemen, take your seats, it's like, hey, let's take a seat. Or could you please take your seat? It makes all the difference in the world as to how the content comes across. And it applies to speaking, video, written, every single platform. It's an incredible insight, Nikki. I'm glad that uh, that we had a chance to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, me too. Me too. So pillar number three of thought leadership is clarity. Clarity is important because clarity comes from having done the thinking to develop good IP, world-class IP. Clarity is important in, in your message. Clarity is important in terms of your target market or your target audience. What are your comments on that? Oh, man. You know, Google did some really interesting research on what makes a high-performance team. It's called Project Aristotle. If anyone wants to read up on it, just Google Project Aristotle and New York Times. And there's an incredible write-up on it in New York Times. And I actually got the research and read it and studied it because what Google did was they were looking at why sometimes they pull together these all-star teams and the teams wouldn't perform well. And other times they would just randomly throw together a group of people and the team would crush it. And they had no predictability about what would uh, what teams would do well versus what teams wouldn't do well. And they studied 200 teams within Google and found five characteristics of high-performance teams. And it had nothing to do with who was on the team. It had everything with how the team operated. And the first element that they identified was clarity of vision. If you have clarity of vision, you are going to dramatically increase the likelihood that your team is going to be high-performing. And you can see that with people like Elon Musk and SpaceX. The clarity of vision is make humanity a multi-planetary species. It's not a rocket company. It's about making humanity a multi-planetary species. With Tesla, it's not a car company. It's about creating a carbon-free future. And this works personally as well. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I broke my neck in a swimming accident. And when I was coming back from that swimming accident after surgery, my surgeon told me, Greg, you're never going to swim again. And I was on the national youth swim team at the time. Like I was on track to make the Olympics. And she's like, you're never going to swim again. And so I immediately looked at her and in my mind said, F you, and made a commitment to be at Olympic trials the following year and did every single thing in my power, training, physio. When I couldn't swim anymore, I would jump on the bike. When I couldn't ride the bike anymore, I'd go to the weight room. Like it was just relentless for a year and ended up actually qualifying for Olympic trials and swimming at that competition in 14 months after breaking my neck. Wow. Got a picture, got a picture taken and, and sent her the picture, which to her credit, she put up on the wall in the intensive care unit at the hospital where I was. But it was only because I had laser focused clarity about what I was going to do that enabled me to do that. And that's repeated itself a number of times throughout my life. So if you look at the world class performers, if you in any discipline, music, science, art, drama, anything, that clarity of vision matters tremendously. And so it's well worth anyone listening to take some time. Think about what it is that you that what it is that you want for with the emphasis on you, because we don't often do that in our lives. Now, what do you want for your family? What do you want for your business? What do you want for your thought leadership? What do you want for your impact for your children? And if you're laser clear on on that, it makes 
decision-making on a daily basis so much easier. It's like, am I going to go to the gym? Uh, am I going to take my kids out for dinner? You know, am I going to spend some time building an incredible strategy for my company? It all becomes clear when you have that clarity of vision. Well said. Very well said. So the fourth pillar of thought leadership is leverage. Matt Church says that an expert is someone who knows something, but a thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. So in order for you to be a thought leader, you're going to need to have the marketplace know who you are. And one way to make sure the marketplace knows who you are is for you to deliver what you have to deliver in terms of your expertise in multiple ways. Matt Church identified six modalities for delivering thought leadership. Coaching, mentoring, speaking, authoring, training, facilitating. Yet most people in our industry only use one, maybe two, and if they're lucky, three of these modalities. That limits their impact, definitely limits their income. Matt says that for you to be considered truly a world-class thought leader, you need to be delivering your expertise in at least four of the six modalities. What are your comments on that? Wow. As you're speaking, I'm like, I think I do two, might get to three, definitely not doing four. Actually, I might have just started doing four. So I, I've got some growth to do in, in that space. But uh, you know, also, as you were speaking, I was thinking about uh, something that I think has made a huge difference in my life and, and the lives of people around me who have been super successful. And that is to give away all of your best knowledge and expertise to as many people as you possibly can for free with absolutely no expectations of getting anything in return. And that's a wacky idea to get across to people. But whenever I do that, the returns have been so profoundly massive. So for example, I had this idea around a way of being healthier. Uh, I wrote it up into an article. I put that out in a newspaper called the Global Mail here in Canada, which goes national. And I gave away a great idea about how to get fitter and essentially did it for free. I got no return. In fact, it cost me the time to take to write the article. No expectations. I just want to try to help the 85% of our population that doesn't get enough physical activity to do things a little bit better and to get healthier. And sure enough, out of that came a whole number of requests for more info. And I just pointed them towards my book. And I don't know if they bought it or not, but I'm sure a bunch of people did. And it just establishes you as, as someone who's an expert in the space. And the magic is that people will consume information, learn about it, but there's always a question about how do I do this for myself? How do I do this for my company? And how do I do this for my school? How do I do this for my family? And that's where people will engage with you on any one of those modalities that you've talked about. Uh, getting some one-on-one -on -one coaching, bringing you in to speak to the school or speak to the company, buying a program that you that you offer. So you know, as I learned from Ian Lopat, who's the CEO, CEO of, of Spiritual Gangster, it's the karma business model. Basically, the more that you can give away, the more you're going to end up getting back in return. And, and so uh, I need to improve my ability to deliver across those six modalities that you've identified. So I'm going to go back and read that book again and see if I can maybe start doing things a little bit differently to have an even bigger impact. Good stuff. Good stuff. And you know what? Before I forget, connect me with Ian again. I've, I've lost his contact info. I want to get him on the podcast. I think it'd be fun yeah, to have I'm him sure on. Yeah, I'm sure he'd love to do that for sure. Yeah, for sure. He's good people. He's good people. Okay, so we're coming up to the fifth and final 
pillar of thought leadership. Wait for it, Greg. This one is going to be no surprise to you. Hashtag don't do 2018 alone. Hmm. So many people in business today, and this dovetails nicely with the theme of the focus effect, are isolated because of technology. They hide behind social media. They get stuck in the negativity distraction complex, which is a piece of IPI developed around what keeps people from achieving their full potential. And they get stuck in a negativity feedback loop that gets created from being on social media. There's a lot of good things on social media, but there's a lot of negativity on it too. Far too many people get stuck in the negativity in social media and they, and, and they, they keep repeating it again and again and again and again. And this creates what I call a negativity distraction complex that prevents them from moving forward and achieving their full potential. They don't have mentors. They don't have a powerful peer group to move them forward. And I say that to be a thought leader, you need to have mentors, both paid and unpaid, and you need to be part of some formal and informal peer groups of people that are staring in the same direction as you, people who are ahead of you, people who are behind you, people who are at the same level as you, so that you can be inspired. There's going to be days the peer group's going to need your energy, and there's going to be days you're going to need the peer group's energy. What are your thoughts and comments on that? Wow. I think that your comment about don't do it alone is huge. We are more connected than we've ever been, yet we are lonelier than we've ever been. And that's really heartbreaking for me. And I've been speaking a lot and mentioning the idea of being connected, of, of how that connection that we have through our devices, through social media, through email, through text messaging is incredible. It's wonderful. But I talk about deep connections and relationships, and I talk about my kids, and I talk about Judith, my wife, and you can just see the pain that's in so many people's faces as I begin to deconstruct some of the things that that we do and tell the stories about some of the challenges that we face around that. And I think that that loneliness is incredibly painful for a lot of people. So one of the things that I've deliberately done over the last two to three years is very consciously try to surround myself with people who take me to another level who I can also help. It has to be a two-way street and schedule time with those people for bike rides, for walks, for dinners. I, I'm, you know, I, you and I have been on several walks down on the beach near where we live and that those walks have sparked some incredible thinking. Uh, I've gone on some bike rides with a buddy of mine, Bart Egnall, that runs an incredible communications company. And, you know, we, we punish each other on the bike, but we get some amazing uh, insights out of it. The, I, the whole book, The Ripple Effect, or sorry, the, the Focus Effect that I wrote with Bruce Bowser came from the fact that Bruce and I committed to having lunch once a quarter. And out of those lunches and that attendance at Titan and sitting at the back of the room together, that friendship came the idea for... A book. And so I would love for your listeners to, with no expectations of any returns, uh, with no expectations of, of really anything other than just building great relationships to identify five people that you can spend more time with that are going to help take your life to another level who you can also uh, help positively 
as well. And if you do that and you do that consistently for a year, connect with them on a monthly basis uh, in a real way, like go for coffee, have lunch, make dinner together, go to the gym and train, uh, you know, go watch a music event, anything. Uh, you, your life will go in a, a very, very different direction. Uh, and conversely, I also think it's important for us to audit people in our lives who may be having a negative effect on us and deliberately decrease the amount of time that you're spending with those people uh, and the contact and connections that you have with those people. And that that's the real hard work. That's the pain. That's the discomfort. That's where you're going to have some reactions and maybe some lashing out. And that goes for your social media feeds as well. There's someone that you're following who's a negative influence on your psychology, you need to get rid of that person. You need to unfollow that blog. You need to delete that Instagram feed. You need to unconnect with people or unfollow people or whatever it is. This is a lot of work, what we're talking about right now. It's a long process, but if you do it deliberately over the course of time, you can fundamentally shift the direction of your life. I absolutely believe that this idea that you've just shared, Nikki, is one of the primary reasons why I've managed to dramatically increase the uh, the quality of my life and the success that I'm experiencing in all aspects of my life, personal, professional, emotional, spiritual, everything uh, over the last, say, two to three years. It's been a huge factor, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Why, thank you. That's powerful. So, Greg, we end off every episode by asking you, our guest expert, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener takes on in his life, in her life, and in his life for her business to take them both to the next level? What say you? Wow, three things. This will affect your personal life and your your business life. Uh, I would love for you to consider how you can get control of your morning. One to two things you can do to get more control of your morning. Is it waking up earlier? Is it not checking your so your phone? Buying an alarm clock so you can wake up to an alarm clock, not your phone. Like get control of your morning. Second thing, I want you to invest in doing power work. So identify blocks of 90 minutes at a time that you can create during your day where you can do your life's best work in a totally undistracted environment and do that consistently over time. Our friend Robin Sharma calls that the 90-91 principle, 90 days, 90 minutes on your number one most important factor to move your life in a significantly different direction. And then the last idea is to defend your last hour, one hour at the end of your day to decompress, to relax, to unwind, to connect, uh, to regenerate. And if you can do those three things, you know, own the morning, power work during your day, defend your last hour, that can be incredibly powerful for you, especially if you do it over time. And I know that it'll have a good effect on your personal life and and a very, very good effect upon your business life as well. Those are awesome expert action steps. I love them. So listener, Greg Wells has given you gold, gold. If you've liked what you've heard today, run, don't walk to the bookstore. Or run, don't walk to your computer and Amazon or Indigo or the book depository or your online store of choice and buy not one copy, but 10 copies of The Focus Effect. One for you and nine more to give out to your best friends, members of your family, to clients, to people who work in your organization. This 
book is going to literally change their life. This book is going to help them understand why being on social media and being on their mobile devices 24-7, nonstop, without any boundaries or filters, is actually negatively affecting their life and their path to success. So make sure you do this. And if you're interested in Greg and his other works, make sure that you go to his website. Greg, what's your website? It's drgregwells.com and all my social media are at drgregwells. Perfect. So make sure that you do that. Buy his other books. He's got another great book called Super Bodies. He wrote The Ripple Effect, which is another fantastic book. Make sure you consume all of his content. You buy his books. Find out about his programs. If you have an opportunity to be at one of the speeches that he delivers at events like the Titan Summit, make sure that you do that. Greg Wells is the real deal. He's a thought leader's thought leader. You're going to need to make sure that you consume his work, and you're going to need to make sure that you get to know this incredible man who's got such a big and generous heart. So here's the other thing. If you've been thinking to yourself while you're listening to this episode, do I have what it takes to be like Greg? Is my intellectual property worth something? Can I get it out there and have a big impact? Can I get it out there and have it create some real income? Or maybe you're already having impact. Maybe you're already having some income being generated from it, but you want to take it to the next level and you want to find out how. Well, I've got a way for you to do that. Jump on a trial call with me or a member of my team. And the way to do that is go to ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. That's ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. Pick a time that works for you and you can have a trial call with us. There's no cost to this trial call. What we're going to do in this call is help you figure out what your IP is, if you haven't already figured that out, or if you have figured it out, how to tighten it into a really sharp, powerful message that's meaningful, that's going to have a big impact on the group, the audience, the people that you want to impact the most and help you make a fabulous income. Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. You rock. Nikki, you're the best, buddy. I really appreciate it. I love what you're doing. Uh, I'm greatly appreciative of our friendship, and uh, I, I love the fact that we were able to chat for an hour and talk about some really cool stuff. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, buddy, it's my pleasure. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about the incomparable Greg Wells, Go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com and to schedule an appointment with me or a member of my team to help you with your IP and your thought leadership, go to the show notes and jump on that link. Until next time, goodbye.